Well, as I said, we're starting a new series called Relationship Wrecked. As we were preparing for this and looking at the different things that happen in relationships that we struggle with, I was just looking through uh, our local area and came across an article. Uh, There was a shipwreck that was actually found in Muskegon, just a little bit north of us here at this campus, uh, just a few months ago. And it was very interesting in that it had been there, they believe, somewhere between uh, 200 and 150 years, somewhere in that range. It had been there quite a long time, the shipwreck. It was not even far from shore, and it wasn't that the shores brought it or the waves brought it to shore. It was just that over time, it actually uncovered that it was there. Didn't even move it, just uncovered it. So what it revealed was there was something there no one knew about that had been decimating and had been forgotten. Now, the interesting part is not just what happened there, but as uh, the article went on, it explained that there are between 60 and 100 other shipwrecks just in that small area around Muskegon, which means there's them many other places too. And suddenly it, it just reminded me that we all walk around in life with all sorts of broken relationships or people we know in broken relationships that we don't realize, forget, or forget the impact of. They're all over the place. If you think of life as this open water in relationships, things that we're supposed to move through it, you think of how many artifacts there are or just wreckage places of brokenness along the path. I hear it regularly, just being a pastor, you'll find out that I've run into someone, maybe they attend here and their sibling I run into somewhere else and they live in town. I say, oh, and I'll ask a question. Have you talked to your your brother lately? We haven't talked in years. And you know, oh, there's a brokenness here. There's a shipwreck in that relationship. And, And we don't just see it there, do we? We have it from parents and children. We can get broken in relationships, from husbands and wives, from broken relationships that finish that way in divorce situations. And we have it in workers and those leaders that lead the workers. We have it all over the place, a cousin, a brother, a sister, a parent, and a child, that we all live in places where relationships crash and break down. Well, what we want to do in this series is look, not simply at kind of restoring them, but look at what God would say to us about how to build relationships that they stay in a great place. Now, we think it will offer help to those places of brokenness, but ultimately we're just using that as a beginning point to say God has called us to live differently. In relationship, in case you don't know it, When Jesus walked the earth, one of the major pieces he left his early followers with, these disciples, is he not only said, I'm dying for you and living that you'll have new life. He said, the way you're going to demonstrate who I am is how you relate to other people. In other words, there will be something different in you than anyone else. Now, I want to start with this simple idea. You realize we're not different much than anyone else. Like we all struggle with relationships, true? And we live in a climate where this is becoming increasingly difficult. We define ourselves by what we disagree with and how someone who thinks differently than us is less than us. And so this is not new. And in the early church, this was a major thrust of what was written to the church, particularly by Paul, who's who we're going to look at today. Paul is a leader in the early church. He, he's the one, really, that runs through all of Asia Minor, all through Turkey, and city after city after city, they discover who Jesus is, they become his followers, and then they seek to live as a different kind of community, relating to one another differently. 
Now, Paul has spent three years of all the times he's with, the one place he was the most was a city called Ephesus with a group of people that he spent years with and he writes to them from prison. And that's what we're gonna look at today, a small excerpt. But what we're asking God to do in this time is not separate our being a Christ follower and how we relate to him from how do we relate to each other. Because you understand God's inviting us and changing us to live and relate differently. So that's what we're gonna to explore today. And with that in mind, we take it up in Ephesians. This is chapter four. It's just an excerpt of his letter. And we begin with Paul's words. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now he's writing this from prison, which is why he says this, because everything Paul does, he sees through the lens of, I am a surrendered person, God, whatever you want, I will do. And even his life in prison, he says, that's for God. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's wonderful, whether it's horrible, I will do whatever for him. But I love what he says after this. You and I are to live a life, what? Worthy of the calling we've received. Now, in case you don't know, these are words Paul writes to almost every church he writes to. You go through all of his letters and you'll see it over and over and over again. Live in a manner that is worthy. Now, we'll come back to the worthiness of this, but I want to stop for a minute and just have you consider that he's telling everyone who follows Jesus, they have a calling that is a high calling. Oftentimes in the church, when we hear calling, we think, well, a pastor is called or a missionary is called. Every single one of you who follow Jesus have a calling that no one else can fill. You are Jesus in your workplace. You are Jesus in your home. You are Jesus in your school. You are Jesus in your activities. You are Jesus with friends and enemies. In other words, he's put you where he's put no one else. And in case you don't know it, you have a high calling. Try not to jump out of your seats with excitement. I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to hold you back from how pumped you are about the high calling you have. This is transformational in case you don't know. Like as good as you're thinking life is, it's not nearly what Jesus has made you for. You are worthy of something even more. And come on, are we not all a mess? Does anybody ever think, what's Jesus thinking? Why does he pick these broken, messed up people? And yet he says, you are all worthy. There is something higher and better for you. And what Paul's going to do in following this is then speak particularly to these early followers about how they're to live differently as a result of this. Just consider this with me for a minute and think about the ways we portray life to others. I'm just curious, how many of you find that other people who drive are complete idiots? Yep, me too. I look at the way people drive and I think something is a matter with them. And then if I see someone driving and they do something really that seems inane or idiotic and they have a church sticker on it and it's not our church, I go, it just figures. <laughs> that is just wrong, isn't it? And I gotta tell you, being a pastor is not a good deal when you drive, especially if people know what your car is. Because I'd really like to maintain anonymity when I'm really pissed at everyone around me and how they deal with this stuff. Like I literally sit there and there's times I've seen, I just recently someone went through a stop sign and I didn't even think about the words I was saying and they're not words I can repeat or should repeat. I've already confessed them, all that's happened. But I literally thought if they can read my lips, this is not a shining moment for me. I am not living in a manner worthy 
of what I'm called. Now that's a simple, easy idea, but let's be honest, they get much more complicated, don't they? There's a lot of ways we live that don't seem worthy of who we're supposed to be. And where I wanna start today and where we're gonna look at where Paul goes is kind of looking inside at us for this. Looking inside, not looking outside at all the other things. And there will be places to do that, but we're gonna self-examine because I think that's what Paul calls us to. And I wanna give you a picture of where Paul goes with it because after he tells what we're to live and how we're to live differently, he describes us this way. He says, there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. Now, the idea of one is very central to scripture about God and his people. The first verse that any Israelite learned was the Lord your God. There is one Lord and one God, and you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But it says the Lord is one, meaning there's one God, even though he's Father, Son, Holy Spirit is one. And then when we think of God making humanity, brings woman out of man, brings them back together, and guess what they become? One. In other words, God's design is for unity, is some way to live in a unique relationship that loves each other. That's the end game for us, loving him and loving each other. And let's make no mistakes, is that not really difficult for us? I mean, if you're anything like me, I can find people that will agree with me with the struggles I have in a relationship. I can build up a pretty good consensus about the things that are, I'm frustrated with that are valid. Any of, you, any of you guys out here who have teenagers, I am great with teenaged fathers because I know the frustration of the fact that when my kids were teenagers, do you know they did not appreciate me enough? If I tell any husband, do you know, I can't believe it. Those kids should be, they're coming in complaining they don't get enough. And I'm thinking, why are they not coming in and thanking me for the very heat in the house they reside? Why am I not thanked for the warm bed that they have? And why am I not thanked for the food on this table and the events they go to? And guess what every man says to me? Amen, brother. You understand me. We're gonna meet afterwards, okay? It's an interesting piece because if you're like me, you justify and I'm not saying there aren't points in this, but have you realized how much we justify how we relate to people? When someone treats me poorly, I find a way to frame it to blame them for everything going wrong in our relationship. And I'll tell you even further this. I'm a pastor, so I know I'm supposed to be a servant. Do you know how well I can pretend and serve in ways that aren't actually serving? I serve my wife and I serve others very well, but there better be some kind of transaction that works for me in this. If it doesn't go to my benefit, why did I do it? Now, you realize that's not good, right? What I'm trying to have us see and being honest about is, I think when we get into relationships, we don't realize just how transactional they are and how much we look for something to be given back to us and then we'll love. Maybe if this happens, then I will. Or, or I'll give you one that's even worse, and this is harder for me, I've had really meaningful times alone with God where I believe the God of the universe has met me and really done something. And instead of savoring that, here's my thought. I can't wait to go out here to tell other people so they'll think well of me. I left the gold for this. Somehow my heart got in the wrong place. Are you getting a picture of what I mean? Is it possible today that maybe God wants us to open up the mess of our hearts and go, God, would you just show me my motives? 
Not even just how we relate. Just let me start with the motive of my heart, of what's inside of me. And I tell you that because we're gonna read what Paul says to live like. And if you just hear it as a behavior, we're in trouble. If you hear it as a way of living and inside of us, you'll be in a better place. So let me begin where he does. And it's really two simple words that he uses on how we're to live. It's very simply this, and I I meant to tell you this, but just the idea of this, be completely humble and gentle. Be completely humble and gentle. (laughs) Man, doesn't that sound good? Don't you wish everyone else treated you that way? This will be a message you go home and say, you know, I think it'd be grateful if you'd really work on being humble and gentle. Life would go better. It's an interesting statement. It's written this way in the English to help us in understanding it. But it literally, if you said it in the language, it's literally all with all humility and with all gentleness. In other words, every part of you inside wants to live this way. So let's just consider humility for a minute. And let me tell you some things that's not. Humility does not mean that people walk over you because I think oftentimes we hear humility as you basically just take a beating everywhere you go. Now you realize with Jesus, that was not the case, by the way. Jesus had all sorts of things to say and they weren't always positive, but we know he walked with complete humility. If you wanna give a simple understanding of humility, it's this. Not only am I surrendered to God, God is my very center. In other words, he's my audience, he's my source, he's my outcome. He is where life centers around. That's humility. Humility doesn't see one as greater or one as lesser. And by the way, if we're honest, we all grade each other, don't we? We have different scales for different reasons, but we hope we measure a little better than this one, and we hope we're not as bad as that one, and we view people different ways. We have this kind of grading system on how good or bad people are. Even the idea of humility, they are much more humble in how they act, therefore they are better. You realize that already messed humility up, don't you? Just by the fact that we put a system to it, and and I'll say it this way, humility truly is found in trusting the love of God, never greater or lesser, meaning no matter what you do, you never get better, and no matter what you do, you never get worse. He reaches in and says, I love you infinitely, and you're of this value. And we have two ways of reacting. One is we work very hard, and it's exhausting, trying to maintain. The other is we give up and just say, I can't. But that's how we live. We don't understand humility. Now, in the ancient world, humility was a foreign idea. And Jesus begins to confront this when he walks the earth. There's a portion in the scriptures where he talks about these Pharisees, these religious leaders that everybody adores and cherishes. And there's a section in Matthew's account where he talks about woes. Not woe like slow down, but woe like, oh no, this is not what you want. And this is what he says about the religious leaders. He says they, meaning these leaders, they tie up heavy cumbersome loads and they put them under, on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. This is the part that's amazing what he says. Everything they do is done for people to see. In other words, even the great things they do, even the serving things they teach, who are they trying to appeal to? Others. I will tell you at the root of pride is us trying to please each other and make others make us feel better about who we are. And he continues it. He just keeps going through this and what it means. He says they love the places of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect and in the marketplaces to be called rabbi by others. 
In other words, there's this self-awareness that even when they do things that seem good, there is a motive that is for self-elevation. Somehow they hope it will raise their standing, raise their status. Maybe they'll be good enough. Maybe they'll be better than others. And you realize that is the human struggle, don't you? That we struggle. Because even in the things we do well, we often have bad motives. There's been a lot of research done on the different generations. And we look at the boomers and we look at the busters, we look at Gen X, we go down to the millennials and we continue to go on. It's been interesting because the millennials really blast, especially the boomers, for being more kind of materialistic and not caring. And, and there certainly is that struggle, and we all have it. But the millennials have been plotted because they care about justice, and they go and help people. But as they mined into the research more, guess what motivates that? To feel better about themselves. Because if I do this, I am elevated. Now, I'm not blaming the millennials. I'm just saying it speaks to the human condition. Now, play that into relationships. Think about how you and I relate to one another, both friend and enemy, those closest and those we just know, and think about the motives we have inside of us that keep us from loving the way Jesus calls us to. When we truly see him as he is, it changes how we relate. In response to this, Jesus says, listen, you have one rabbi, you have one teacher, you have one father. In other words, All of your leaders are not above you. They are one of you. There's only one God. There's only one rabbi. That's Jesus. He's just saying, you got to see each other as you are. No greater and none lesser. And then he underscores it at the end of this. The greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in case you don't know, this was a earthquake statement. In the ancient world, people were applauded for moving ahead. They were sought to be better than others. Everything in Greco-Roman culture was status. If I had more than you had, I spoke and you listened. If you were born to a higher family than I was, I waited for you to respond. Everything was about greater and lesser. And leaders were allowed to lord over and allowed to do things because that's how it worked. And Jesus throws it all away and goes, no, no, no. Humbleness. You be humble and it will lift you up. And I want to be clear on this part about humility lifting us up. Because all we're going to look at today with humility, you can be inclined to say, I will humble myself so that I'm again elevated and important. Which you realize the irony of that, don't you? I will deal with this so that then I'm raised up. And I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying is humility itself is the nature of God and it elevates on its own. And let me just ask you a question. When you've seen someone walk in true humility, have you not been inspired by it? Would we not say that we're moved anytime someone does something that seems sacrificial or not applauding or not raising themselves up? It's funny, whenever I think about this, and it's not a a deep moment of major sacrifice, but I'm always taken by this, and some of you won't remember this, but do you know the name Barry Sanders? We're from Michigan. We really should know the name Barry Sanders. It's the only thing we have to hope for in the Lions and all we've had. In fact, at the end of the Super Bowl, I put on on YouTube the top 50 runs of Barry Sanders just so I could feel like there was something I watched of the Lions on Super Bowl day, and it was good. But when I was growing up, every time a player did something great, they puffed their chest out and made you know how much better they were than everyone else. 
And when, when Barry finished anything, he just set the ball down and ran back. And I never believed he did it as a show. I honestly think he did not feel better than anyone else or think he was and just didn't care. He didn't care. See, at the end of humility and the core of that, what changes is we stop caring about what others see or think or perceive of us because we're so settled on how God sees us. That's what matters. That is a beautiful, messy journey, isn't it? And it's the first thing Paul talks to us about. Listen, you gotta live differently than the rest of this world. You have got to live in humility. And make no mistake, we live in a culture that is increasingly defined by what we disagree about and us telling other people how they're wrong and how they're less than because we disagree. That, that should get an amen, by the way. It's horrible, isn't it? Are you ever embarrassed? I'm like, oh man, if God put church bumper stickers on our butts, it is not gonna be a good day. When people start seeing how we act and live. And Paul had the same thing with the early church. There's this place of humility that I'm calling you to, to live and see life differently. Now he gives the other side of this, which is gentleness. And it particularly has an image as it relates to correction, because make no mistake, humility does not mean you never caution or challenge or speak about things that aren't right. And so Paul writes about this in Galatians. He says it beautifully, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person how? Gently. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. I love this idea of gentleness. It's a unique word in the Greek. It really gives image to grace. It means that you understand what you've been given and now you give it the same way. By the way, our mission as a church is to be radically loving and growing together in Christ. The way we define radical love is that we experience the radical love and forgiveness of Jesus, and the more we understand it, the more we dispense radical love to others. When we came up with that vision 11 years ago, I loved it and loved sharing it. Do you know how much harder it is to actually think about today? Because I'm just realizing more and more how hard it is to be loving in places I struggle or disagree. And I love Paul's comment about gentleness. You know what gentleness is? It's saying, I'm only gonna speak to you about this because I want what's best for you. Do you wanna know how I like to do correction? I call it mic dropped correction. I am more than happy to identify what's wrong and drop the mic when you sit there and go, man, I'm tanked on this one. You know that's very different than, I wanna speak to your life because I care about what's happening in your life. By the way, humility and gentleness are all about what's inside, their motives. And make no mistake, the Holy Spirit changes us in the thick of relationships. That's when we find out whether we really love or not. You can sit alone with God and you can sit with people just like you. And you know what? You can keep moving your friendships and your family and all the people you're connected to to only agree with you and that circle's gonna get smaller and smaller and narrower and narrower. But you will never discover the fullness of Jesus' love that way. And he starts with humility and gentleness. I got something different for you. And in case you don't know, this is really rooted in who Jesus is. It's rooted in exactly the teachings of Jesus. This is what he says. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle 
and humble. Where is he gentle and humble? In heart, from the inside, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the beauty of Paul's teaching in Jesus' really life. Do you know it's exhausting to live in conflict with other people, trying to measure up and be better than, constantly working and living on the treadmill of I'm even got to work at humility now. I've got to work at achieving better. I've got to work at being more of a servant or at least work at being perceived as a servant. And Jesus' response is, no, no, I'm gentle and humble in heart, meaning it will change from the inside out in you. That's how I'll change you. Now, this is something, at least for me, and I think it's true for all of us. Two really simple things that I believe will help you in this. One is uh, just to begin to ask God to show you what's inside of you. It's a dangerous prayer, by the way. God, show me what's in me that I'll see what my heart's really like. Help me to see my motives. And I gotta tell you, I keep finding motives I wish I didn't have. There are so many times where I realize I want to do this out of love for Jesus. I wanna see people the way he does. I literally wanna walk that my identity is secure in him, but my push, the magnetic pull, is always for other people to see me better and to have reputation and have life from them. So guess what our answer is? I never knew this would be the most of my Christian life, but so many of my prayers are this. Holy Spirit, this is my mess. Help. I cannot change my heart. I just need you. I need you to begin to do this work inside of me that changes me because I can't do it on my own. You cannot will yourself to humility and gentleness. And all of you high performers, you cannot write a plan and come up with 18 pathways that are gonna get you there. You will never get there on your own. You will get there asking God to reveal to you. You will get there confessing what's really inside. You will get there as the spirit meets you and changes you. I love what Paul says about the beautiful power of the resurrection. He says the same power that rose caused Jesus to raise from the dead lives in his people. We just have to access it. I think that we are the place God's given hope for the world. I believe the Holy Spirit changes us in the thick of relationships. We cannot pick relationships based on what we get back for them. We need to enter into them because it's in there that God moves. And I'll simply say it this way, even as you heard earlier today, we're starting groups this week. What a great chance for you to go, you know what, I want God to move in my life. I need to enter into more relationship. And we go jump into a group. Jump into relating to other people because that's the place the spirit comes and moves in power. Go to a place where you actually have to say, God, what's my heart and what's my motive and how might you change me in this? We know it's in relationships that the Holy Spirit moves and in case you don't realize it, this high calling you have is not that God's gonna use you in a big platform to tell the world, it's in your day-to-day -day life. It's for a couple and how they learn to love selflessly from a heart of humility and gentleness. And as they do that, as they're centered on Christ, guess what? It shines for people around them. 
It's a place where you deal with someone that you find difficult and you love them in a way that only Christ could show you to love them and that shines who he is. God has put a high calling in every one of you. You will reach someone that none of us can. Every place you go is where Jesus wants to go. Every relationship you have is a relationship Jesus wants to show his radical love into. You have a high calling, but it's in day-to-day living not in the place that we would hope to exalt ourselves. Holy Spirit changes us in the thick of relationships and it really simply starts in our hearts. All I'm asking for you today is that you might ask God, would you just show me what's inside? Would you help me to actually be honest about my motives? Man, I I don't think I'm the only one that's messed up. I mean, I know I'm messed up. I'm a wonderful, thing just to examine and watch the mess. But I look and go, there's so much in my mind that magnetically moves me towards others' opinions and towards how I'm perceived, even as much as I'm seeking to walk with God. And I go, it is an amazing change to go, God, would you help me to discover who you are, that I would surrender to you and find my life and purpose and identity in you. Because then when we enter a relationship, we don't enter it with a hidden agenda and we don't enter it with transactions that say you must in order for. And then we can even enter conflict and difficulty differently because our motives are different. We gently want to restore. We don't restore to get basically a transaction. I got you on this one. You owe me now. I won the battle. You lost. I want what's best for you. Gentle and humble. Let me pray for us. God, I I don't know what you want to say to each person here or what you uniquely are doing, but I'm asking you to move in this building, in this time online for all that are watching. As I said before, God, I don't want to confuse either. If this brings confusion, let it fall to the ground and let people not carry something they should have. I think of people that can overly feel responsible, God, and they're always to blame and they're in horrible situations. Give them protection and let them know where that line is. But God, for most of us here, would you help us see in our hearts what compels us that draws us to appeal to others or live on reputation or live in better than or constantly try and help us to discover what it means to live humbly and gently in heart. Change our hearts by the power of your spirit. I ask this in your name, amen.